Welcome to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio with your co-hosts Ryan the Zen Marxist. What up? And myself, Shibby. Hello everybody, it's been a while since, I mean, not even a while because we've had a Patreon episode, but yeah, it's been nearly a month since we last uploaded an episode on RSS feed, so I really want to get one out. So what we're going to do today for you is, is read two articles from the Fight Racism, Fight Imperialism newspaper ran by the Revolutionary Communist Group in the UK. We're going to go through an article on Hong Kong called Imperialist Hands Off Hong Kong. We're going to read one on trans and non-binary rights that have been tossed up into the air. Just want to say thank you everybody for the support, all of our patrons. It goes a long way. It does make the editing process better. What we really want to do here is really improve the quality on all of our episodes so i'm halfway through capitalist realism now i spent a lot of time on it i mean i've went back to it like three four times i really want to make it amazing for you so you know uploads might be a little bit slower but the quality is going to be substantially higher and it will be almost unrecognizable to our older episodes where there was still a huge learning curve there so without further ado we'll go into the revolutionary communist group Fight Racism, Fight Imperialism, an article, Imperialist, Hands of Hong Kong, created on Tuesday, the 4th of August, 2020, and written by good comrade Bob Shepard. So, on the 30th of June, responding to the demonstrations and rioting that had struck Hong Kong, the People's Republic of China, the PRC, passed a new national security law for the territory. The law bans political agitation calling for independence for Hong Kong and any collusion with a foreign country or external elements endangering national security. So that was on the 30th of June responding to the demonstrations. I mean, what you could, some people are coining like a colour revolution in Hong Kong because obviously Hong Kong belongs to China. Let's just throw that out there. (laughs) And they're in a transition to obviously retake the territory that was stolen from them by Britain before getting the masses of China addicted to opium. Last year's demonstrations were primarily organised by capitalist interests supported by pro-imperialist forces, initially to oppose a new extradition law with mainland China that had started this fiasco, although the Hong Kong government withdrew the law in response to the protests. The demonstration still escalated with calls for independence and attacks on symbols of the Chinese Communist Party. Sections of the demonstrators have displayed British and US flags and called for either Britain or Trump to save Hong Kong. Alongside chauvinist slayers, how do you say that word please Ryan? Chauvinist. Chauvinist slayers against mainland Chinese people. If you want to read more on that you can see FRFI issue 272 October November 2019 titled Hong Kong's Misdirected Protest. Have you got any thoughts on that, Ryan? Just uh, on the extradition law, it, it gets withdrawn, but the demonstrations still escalate. And more specifically, have you got anything to say on the calls for independence by, like, Britain and the United States? I mean, obviously imperial powers aren't there to do what's in the best for China or Hong Kong as countries. What they want is what would be best for the international bourgeois in those countries. But when it comes to like uh, making a law against banning political agitation, that won't stop. Of course, everyone knows that the political agitation is being used by Western forces to foe discourse. 
but like creating a law against it isn't going to stop it. <laughs> In the same way that like laws against drugs don't just make drugs disappear. Yeah. Uh, well, they tried. I just want to comment on that saying, just ask Iraq what freedom and democracy looks like when it's brought to you by the United States and coalition forces. Two million Iraqis dead. So the response to British imperialism to the PRC's actions was contrived outrage expressed with characteristic arrogance. Boris Johnson condemned the law for supposedly breaking the 1985 Sino-British Joint Declaration, which laid the grounds for Britain quitting Hong Kong in 1997, the territory being occupied by Britain since 1841. Johnson hypothetically declared it violates Hong Kong's high decree of autonomy and threatens the freedoms and rights protected by the Joint Declaration. Freedoms and rights were alien for Hong Kong under British colonial rule, with no local elected representatives and repression for campaigners for the reunification of Hong Kong and the PRC. The Royal Hong Kong Police was a paramilitary colonial force which enforced imperialist rule by terror. The British government then announced a blatant attempt to destabilise Hong Kong society that nearly 3 million Hong Kong citizens would be eligible to apply for residency in Britain. This includes the 350,000 who hold British national overseas passports issued before the 1997 handover and over 2.5 million who are eligible to apply for a British national overseas passport. There would be no income test for these immigrants and after five years they would be able to apply for settled status and then citizenship. A stark contrast to the dehumanising racist regime that usually faces migrants and refugees who enter Britain. Yeah, do you remember like he, Zola said this when she's talking about immigrants in the UK on a Diaspora Britain episode that these immigrants who are coming over into the UK, they have to be highly educated. Like they have to have university like university degrees. They have to be going into a job basically immediately. But however, just to fuel the fire in Hong Kong with its citizens and the protesters against the PRC. Well, it's completely thrown out of the table. So they're dropping all the previous inhibitors for somebody migrating to the UK so that people from Hong Kong could come over and probably protect British capitalist territory in Britain if the people ever rise up, if you ask me. But... Yeah. So that is a stark contrast to the dehumanising fascist regime that usually faces migrants and refugees who manage to enter Britain. Labour's shadow foreign secretary, Lisa Nandy supported the Conservative government's proposals, then went further, calling on the government to force the UN to investigate police brutality in Hong Kong. She called on the government to re-examine its whole commercial relationship with China. In response to these provocations, the Chinese ambassador to Britain, Louis Xiaoming, Louis Xiaoming accused Britain of gross interference in Hong Kong affairs, stating some of the politicians in the UK still have this very strong colonial mindset. They fail to recognise that Hong Kong is no longer under British colonial rule. 
the British government's artificial outrage over China, stamping down on violent protests in Hong Kong, is fueled by its need to ally its economic interest ever more closely with those of US imperialism, which is engaged in an escalating trade war with China. This alignment was drawn closer to the 14th of July decision to bar the Chinese company Huawei from Britain's 5G telecommunications network. It was only in January that Johnson had pushed through Parliament the decision that Hawaii... Hawaii... <laughs> it's such a messed up word because you don't pronounce it how it looks at all. It's pronounced Huawei. No way. It, is. <laughs> I, it was confusing to me as well when I first heard someone say it. I was like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, so, yeah, it was announced in January that Johnson had pushed through Parliament the decision that Huawei could participate in the development of 5G network. This is now being reversed mainly because of pressure from the United States. Pressure which includes sanctions against Huawei, preventing it buying US software and technology. Labour's response has been to criticise the government from the right, accusing it of not taking national security seriously enough and not barring Huawei earlier. Shadow Minister for Industrial Strategy, Chi Anuara, declared it had been clear for some time that there are serious questions as to whether Huawei should be allowed to control large sections of a country's telecoms network. Yet the government refused to face reality. Their approach to our 5G capability, Huawei and national security, has been incomprehensibly negligent. For the Labour Party, it is natural to want to strengthen and defend national security of the British imperial state. It sees no contradiction in simultaneously condemning the PRC for defending its own national security and territorial integrity against attempts by imperialism to drive a wedge between Hong Kong and the Chinese mainland. That was Bob Shepard. Five Aces and Fighting Imperialism, issue 277, August, September 2020. So this is, uh, I mean, it's you see it all the time online. It was more prominent in the past than it is now because COVID's took over from the limelight. But, you know, if there wasn't COVID, you'd probably still repeatedly see all these protests on TV, on bourgeois media outlets in support for the protesters of Hong Kong being liberated by imperialist nations. So what, what's your thoughts on, on this situation? What, what did you get from that article, Ryan? We don't know why 5G would inherently be a threat to national security. I mean, if their concerns are over who controls it, then that makes sense because they would understand that because they control all of Comcast and Sprint and all of those, they know the power that they get from those organizations because that's how the NSA originally started its global surveillance program. They had two options. They could basically capture the whole internet from scratch, or they could just go to the broadband providers and say, let me tap the lines. And they did that, with, along with the cell companies, the cell towers, Vodafone, all of those. Like I said, in the United States, it's Comcast, Sprint. Over here, it's like RNGE. Vodafone, all that jazz. But the 5G as a technology isn't an issue. Their issue is going to be over 
basically who controls it. Because they understand that there's no such thing as an apolitical system or technology. So ultimately, someone, somewhere, is going to be in control of it. So they just want it to be them instead of um, someone else. Yeah, that, that was a good point there, Ryan, because like I said, it's the protests on Hong Kong aren't so much on the news everywhere, but what is? It's this debate over 5G, uh, China trying to take over everybody's internet and steal everybody's data, especially with TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Isn't this just business rather than politics? Well, business is politics, right? There's nothing in reality that's not political. Like, business is definitionally political because businesses are built off of private ownership of the means of production. That's capitalism, right? And the, the political system is set up to protect the economic system. So the economic system in, the economic system in any um, country is primary. And the political system exists to protect the economy. That's why you'll never find on a ballot paper any system other than capitalism. Because that's off, that's off the table, right? They're never going to allow you to choose between different economic systems on a political system. Because the political system is set up to defend whatever economic system they have. Because we live under capitalism, you will never find anything other than two capitalist parties on the ballot. Those parties exist to protect the economic system of capitalism. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so what do you think of this whole scenario that nearly three million Hong Kong citizens would be eligible to apply for residency in Britain? I think I've seen something as well in Ireland, but I think it's been rejected by the population in Ireland where to be a beautiful countryside and they were willing to donate like... I think it was like hundreds of miles to a new Hong Kong immigrant colony within Ireland. Have you heard about that? What do you think of nearly 3 million Hong Kong citizens being able to surpass the previous restrictions that there was in the UK for, for migrants and immigrants alike? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised. And this just seems like the Western Imperial Forces bargaining chip with whatever forces they collaborated with in Hong Kong to make it happen, they would have had to go to them and say, look, listen, if you do this for us, you know, and allow us to wage, you know, the counterinsurgency, blah, 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 media operation, whatever, then we will allow, you know, however many citizenships for you to come over here, right? It's just a bargaining chip. It's just a political, you know, if you do this for me, then I'll give you these citizenships. That just seems what it's like to me. It's just a, yeah, it's just a deal that's been made. Yeah, it makes them somewhat look like the good guy, doesn't it? Like, oh my God, how generous is Britain? We can move over to Britain and live like the rich people. <laughs> that's just not the case in Britain whatsoever, fucking hell. And even for, like, the US or Britain to actually determine what's going on within the territory of Ireland... For them to plan a Hong Kong colony within Ireland that's not even part of their nation just shows the extent of insanity, the madness of capitalism and the complete disrespect for the people. So look at it the other way around. Imagine if Britain had just turned around and said, let's just take these island people and put them in Hong Kong and build like Irish Hong Kong. I mean, that's blatant colonialism. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, wow, it's, it's fucked. Yeah, but because we live in, you know, one of the imperial cores, it's seen this. The imperial core is seen as a, 
you know, a prized place to get to, which is why you can use that as a bargaining chip with other nations to say some of you can come and live here. It's the same reason that if you have, like, an English passport, it gets you pretty much anywhere, right? Because that's, mm. the, that's the soft power of the history of this country that's enabled that to happen, that's carried forward to the day. Yeah, it's good having a passport because you get to go on holiday to all all these places all around Africa. All you know, we defeated the Nazis in that country, and for some reason, <laughs> that's what enables our power over it. So ever since we liberated these countries from Nazi Germany, whether it is in Africa, whether it is in Europe, whether it is in fucking wherever, it, rather than actually capture the territory, I guess that we did build. I mean, just look at Israel. Israel is a made-up state, and and the world and territory and borders were cut up after World War Two. and who done that? Well, it was the Allies, so it was like Britain, US, and some of Europe agreeing to territories and that, and because they've literally made the map after World War Two. Yeah, I mean, I would also say that, you know, Western participation in the defeat of the Nazis is greatly overstated. Like, it was mostly the USSR, let's be real. Obviously, we, we were there, we played a part to some degree, but it was mostly Russia, and America did basically fuck all at that point. America loves to, you know, ride in 10 seconds from the end of the match and take the whole credit for everything. But they never wanted to get involved in the war. There were, you know, Nazi rallies being held in New York at that time. The president at the time didn't want to get involved in the war. He actually ran on a campaign of not getting involved in the war. This was at the same time Nazi Germany sunk two US civilian cruise liners and the US was still refusing to join the war. Um, yeah, I don't know which one you're referring to because I think I read something about one of them. I think it might have been the Lusitania was deliberately sunk to get them involved in the war. Torpedoed, yeah. If you've read, um... You know, Smedley Butler's War is a Racket, you'll know that the actual reason that America got involved in World War II was because of Wall Street and the banks. So the banks had lent so much money to Europe in World War II that they couldn't afford Europe, or I shouldn't say Europe because I guess Germany is Europe. It was, you know, the Allied forces, they couldn't afford the Allied forces to lose the war because of all the money they'd lent the Allied forces, right? And if Nazis win the war, they're not going to pay America's, you know, the debts of their enemy, right? They'll, they'll just never get that money back. So when they realized this, that they actually couldn't afford um, the Allied forces to lose the war, they actually had to get involved themselves. And that's when they joined the war, when they realized that it was looking like we're going to lose. And when they realized that we're going to lose, they realized, oh, if they lose, we don't get paid. We don't get our money back because they were defeated which means the Nazis win it. The Nazis aren't going to pay the debts of their enemies. So then they had to get involved and actually fight the war. And that's what I'm saying about them turning up in the last 20 seconds of the war, taking credit for everything. And you can actually see it in polling. So if you go back from, if you go all the way back to like 1950, people were asked questions like, you know, who was mainly responsible for the the winning of World War Two, And it's like 70-80% USSR, because it was. And then in the 2000s, you ask them the same questions, and it's like 80% United States. 
And that's just propaganda, right? Like, the United States didn't want to get involved in the war. They didn't give a fuck. They didn't get involved until the very end when they realized that they wouldn't get paid if they didn't get involved. And then suddenly they got involved. And you know this because even the president himself, Woodrow Wilson, right, he ran on, I'm not getting involved in the war. So he was elected on a platform of not getting involved. And then a year or whatever into his term, he was like, oh, yeah, okay, let's go. Right, let's get involved. And obviously it's because the banks run everything and the banks, you know, got in his ear and said, hey, no, you're doing this. Like, we run this shit and you're going to go to war. And we've just lost Pearl Harbor. Yeah, there was that too. But <laughs> wait, was that even the same? That was before though. That was like, that was 41. There actually might have been more time here than I thought. So they were actually involved since 41 through to 45. Uh, mostly just trading ships with us for our fucking territory all around the world. Who knows? Do you hear? That's how Britain lost its global empire, was we had to trade our colonies and our territories to the United States for cruisers and destroyers so that we could actually cross the Atlantic because obviously we're an island, we have to get resources from overseas and we literally could not produce the ships necessary to do that. We lost our entire empire during this. We traded it with the United States for a navy to defend our shores and then that's how America became the superpower today because they've literally got Britain's old territory and probably have built bases on the bases which we've built. Yeah, I have I have no idea. I've not I'm not like super informed on that, but what I do know is that you you know, the United States participate or you know, um the credit the United States gets for participation in World War Two is greatly over exaggerated. Like they make themselves out to be, you know, kings of the world, we're the greatest ever, we did everything, we single handedly defeated everyone bad ever. But no, they didn't. They um you know, much much less of a role in reality than they will have you believe but of course because of the power of the u.s propaganda machine all you ever see is you know band of brothers saving private ryan and all the films and everything which makes everyone think that well they were they basically did it solo right they were the only ones involved but no i'd love america to go back to being isolationist uh, i don't think they ever have been have they I mean, you can Ryan, go all the way back to the founding you're, of the country. You're totally on it. No, you're right. Because they had, like, the fucking banana company, the fucking... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know about prior to World War Two, just because my history isn't too great. But since... It was all Latin America. That's where you were, yeah. It, it was just he yeah. left Europe and Africa That's all post-World War Two. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but to be honest, it, like the founding of the country was built on slavery, right? So the idea that, and they stole those people from other countries. So the idea that they like only ever kept within their borders when they are literally a country of Europeans that left Europe, went to America, then stole slaves from Africa to build their own country. I'm not going to call that country a uh, an isolationist country, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I'm glad that I could bring that up so that you could debunk it because that's that's an interesting point and I think people should reiterate that if they do ever hear that America was at one point isolationist because it's just simply not true. I mean, especially not since World War II. I mean, if you look at any 
If you look at all of the everything they've been doing globally since World War II, it's been, you know, total US hegemony. All the way through, you know, Latin America, South Africa, South America, just everywhere. Yeah, just everywhere. Just the whole globe they have seen as nothing but theirs, honestly. Yes. And um, it continues to this day, for sure. Hmm. So let's finish up on this article now. Before we move away from it, what like kind of principled line do you think the people should have, you know, on, on the Hong Kong situation? The North Star should probably be to defend against US imperial forces, no? It makes sense to me. I mean, just ev- everything in this article from uh, 5G wars to... You know, to setting up colonies for Hong Kong people in Britain and Ireland, which the alternate, like, um, again, just to reiterate, imagine three million British people all flocking to Hong Kong and moving there. That's like, there's no, I don't think there's ever been colonialism on, on a vast scale. But how, how do you manage to spin this so that it's positive? It genuinely blows my mind. Yeah, so we'll move on. If I had the principal line, I would just say, Similarly, oppose Western imperialism, oppose imperialism. China is old Hong Kong. It was taken from it. It was stolen from it. And more than anything, the West are fighting for Hong Kong through information campaigns. It's like military strategic to have territory literally on mainland China. Because obviously, if you give that up, Think of what you've got to do to recapture that territory from dug in Chinese forces. It's not something any military general or commander in chief anywhere in the world would willingly do. I mean, thinking about it now, there's probably some strategic parallels to be drawn between Hong Kong in this scenario and like Cuba in the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Definitely. Like Cuba was a small territory that was in firing range of the United States that uh, that Russia put missiles on. And Hong Kong is a little territory within firing range of China that the United States is. Definitely, definitely. I just thought of that and I guess it sort of makes sense maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I'm not saying that, you know, the United States is putting missiles on... Hong Kong on Hong Kong to fire at China, but I'm talking about the strategic importance of that little outpost. Mm. Cuba and Hong mm. Kong both had very strategic importance yeah. when it came to the greater political. Let's move on to this uh, second article now. It's written by Sheila Rubio. This is on a later issue, the latest issue of fight, Racism, Fight and Palism. It's the 278th paper for October, November 2020. It's titled Trans and Non-Binary Rights Tossed Up Into the Air. This is all going to be quite informative to me, I imagine, because I, I've never took the time to actually indulge in, you know, the, the thoughts and the feelings and the theory of trans and non-binary people. I've, of course, came across many. I've, you know, seen what they're sharing. I'm obviously completely in solidarity with all pros everywhere. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being caught up with the news on, on this struggle that people are, are up against at the moment. Okay, so I'll go into it. On the 27th of September, Equalities Minister... Liz Truss laid bare the government's contempt for trans and non-binary people in a written statement that was a slap in the face 
to all those that have campaigned for reforms to the 2002 Gender Recognition Act. The reforms included then Prime Minister Theresa May's pledge to de-medicalise gender transition and were promised in 2018 following a government survey responded by 108,000 predominantly LGBTQ people. So this referring to Gender Recognition Act in 2004, it was to demedicalize gender transition. So I guess that that's to say it's to open it up to people if they want it, rather than to say we need it for medical reasons, um, which could be for mental health or like physical reasons. So, you know, that, that was a huge leap forward for trans people and it was in fact the the biggest step forward that the UK has ever taken for trans people. Trust only promises minimal administrative changes to the GRA, like moving the entire process online. 38% of survey respondents said that the process was too bureaucratic. Well, lo and behold, what have we been talking about? Bureaucracy and capitalist realism. Check out that theory episode. So, Reducing the fee from £140 to an unspecified amount. 34% said it was too expensive. It's crumbs for the hungry. Not a peep in response to either the 64% of respondents who want to scrap the requirement that gender reassignment only be granted to people with, medi- with medical gender dysphoria. Or the 80% who wanted the requirement of medical report removed. The announcements. Of three new gender clinics to be functioning and cutting waiting lists by about 1,600 by 2022 is a red heaven. These new clinics, so-called, are actually pilot schemes that have been operating all summer in London, Manchester and Merseyside, offering appointments to some of the 13,500 trans and non-binary people currently waiting for the first appointments. Truss argues that the Equality Act in 2010 allows service providers to restrict access to single-sex spaces on the basis of biological sex. This gives the all-clear to discriminate against trans people. There is no mention of non-binary people having no recognition in the GRA. This comes mere days after the landmark tribunal confirmed that under the same Equality Act non-binary people are protected against discrimination at work. Mrs. R. Taylor versus Jaguar Land Rover in brackets. This is another attack on trans and non-binary people from a government determined to roll back the human rights of all oppressed communities. Already in capitalist Britain, a quarter of all trans people experience homeless. 89% have considered suicide. Money forced to wait years for often expensive gender affirmment treatment. It does not have to be this way. In socialist Cuba, trans and non-binary people are offered free healthcare and gender affirmment treatment. There will be no trans liberation under capitalism. Instead, we must strengthen the fight back for socialism and against oppression in all forms. Wow, that that was um, a, a really... Really informative principal report there by Sheila Rubio. Any thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we know what conservatives do when they get in power and they make it as difficult for all, you know, minorities or 
disabilities, sexual or otherwise, to, um, you know, basically just to live uh, lives. And they do that to all people. It doesn't matter whether you're an ethnic minority or a sexual minority or anything. They, they're going to make it as uh, life as difficult for you as they possibly can. And, um, yeah, that's, that's just what they do, I guess. I mean, it's a disaster, but it's... Uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone at, at, at this stage that um, they they basically want those people dead. That is what it is, and uh, it sucks. Fucking hell! Uh, obviously, yeah. Um, the greed of a capitalist doesn't care <laughs> what gender you are. It doesn't care what fucking species you are. It only, it only cares about how it can exploit your labour, exploit you, and that's and, and it's just going to keep doing that until you burn out and you roll up and die. It's vicious. However, it, it is important, particularly important, and I'm re- really great. I'm really pleased that I read this article and we're getting out there because it was really a potent finish on there will be no trans liberation under capitalism. Instead, we must, we must strengthen the fight back for socialism and against oppression in all of its forms. If you're trans, you're one of the 89% people who suffer from suicidal thoughts, or you're one of the quarter of trans people who are homeless. We want to we wanna fucking fight for you. We want to liberate. We just need to underline the fact that capitalism is never going to liberate you. Don't get your hopes up. Put your energy and your enthusiasm into the revolution, the cause. Uh, just to reiterate again, in socialist Cuba, trans and non-binary people are offered free healthcare and gender affirming treatment. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's it's proper upsetting why because we could fucking do this tomorrow. Yeah, of course, but you know. That's just the the ideological, you know, con- contingent that they have. But I think ultimately it's going to be their their downfall, right? Because even, I mean, personally, I think that there's a hard limit on the life of capitalism that's imposed by global warming, at least in its current form. Because the hard limit is the state of the planet itself. Like, you cannot, you cannot continue beyond what the planet will allow you to do. Right, like we're still mercy to nature. I mean, we are nature, right? Like the idea that capitalism can continue even though it's literally destroying the planet. You you can't, it won't allow you to, not in the present form. Now it can, you know, devolve one way or another, morph into a different thing. You can get, you can end up with something like eco-fascism. But the idea that capitalism as we currently experience it, as it is today, is going to live forever is ridiculous. It's just, it's simply not. And I think that that's the view from the sort of systems. But when you talk about individuals and you come down to sort of individuals, they want basically straight white people to be the majority. But that will never happen because not only are you retreating and blocking yourself off from the world, you're becoming an ever more smaller and smaller group of people, sort of backing yourself into a corner, and then at some point you're going to look around and it's just going to be, you know, 20 of you trying to grip on to power, and it, it just won't it just won't work. So it doesn't matter how much they want, like, you know, the straight, you know, cis white men to be the... It just won't. It, you it, it doesn't even matter whether I want it or not. It doesn't matter whether the bourgeois wants it or not. 
what is is what has happened will happen and um, there's nothing you can there's nothing they can do about it it's not even a matter of whether they think it's good or bad or right or wrong it will happen whether you think it or not mm. wow yeah okay i haven't got many more thoughts than that because i haven't took the time to engage in the historical struggle of, of trans non-binary people but that's something i would like to do if there's listeners out there you're trans non-binary Please get in touch. We'll speak to uh, educators. Really like to know more about this because uh, you know knowledge is power. I'd love to have the power so that we can convince people to join the struggle, stand side by side with the pros all around the world, and hopefully do the tricky thing, which is to topple capitalism before we all die. So yeah, please get in touch. Pretty much. All right, Ryan. We could end it there unless you got anything else to add on. Hmm. Don't think so. Not about those two. Okay. Again, thank. I could just bullshit about whatever though, if you want. Uh, why would you like? What? What's whatever? I have no idea. I was just scanning Facebook. You haven't talked about the Trump COVID thing, or? Oh yeah, let's do Trump COVID. First of all, hilarious. Fuck. <laughs> I mean. If there was such a thing as cosmic justice, that pretty much, that's, that's, that's pretty much it, to be honest. <laughs>
Oh, the Maya. Oh, she broke it.